Welcome back to Finding New Films. It's episode 15, and I'm joined here today by my dad again. Hey, Dad. Hey, Hunter. <laughs> How you been? Good, good. How about yourself? Good. We, uh, we went on a walk today. Um, as we're filming this, it's Easter Sunday. Um, happy Easter. If you celebrate... Um, happy Passover, if you celebrate. Uh, I don't know if there's any other holidays, but if I'm forgetting one, I apologize. Um, but yeah, uh, my name's Hunter, I didn't say that off the top. But, uh, yeah, we're finding another film today. That's the name of the show. Uh, but today was my pick. Last time Dad was on, I was pick or he picked, and we watched the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, the longest movie title ever. In history, yeah. Um, So today I was picking, and we went with Whiplash, uh, if you have eyes and can read the title. (laughs) And uh, so Whiplash, um, my reasoning behind picking that was uh, Zach C., that has been on the podcast, uh, when we watched Ad Astra, and who will soon be on to watch Super Mario Bros. <laughs> but uh, he he's a big fan of this movie. He used to watch it when we were in high school, like, a lot. Um, it used to be a joke, because I used to watch Mad Max Fury Road religiously, and then it became a joke that Zach watched Whiplash religiously, and we were all going to have our own religious movie that we all watched a <laughs> hundred times. Um, but I've always known that this movie was critically acclaimed. I've always known that this movie was well-liked by people who like movies. Um, and I like Damien Chazelle, the writer and director. I saw his movie First Man in theaters um, when that came out. Was that the one about uh, Neil Armstrong? Yeah. Yeah. It was less about Neil Armstrong and really about, like, the the mindset of a person that's about to go to the moon and be the first person on the moon for the first time. Mm-hmm. More than it really is trying to, like, evoke Neil Armstrong as a person. Yeah, because the character of Neil Armstrong was pretty bland in that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just, like, it's just this guy who's just dialed in and you're kind of, like, just getting into his mind of, like, what it would be like. Like, it would be pretty traumatic, and uh, you, you'd have to imagine, you know, he's, he's, we're not here to talk about First Man, but, you know, you can understand the trauma that would come with being the first person on the moon, and Damien Chazelle is so good with sound design, and that movie is made by the sound design, as well as this movie. And what, um, didn't you say he made La La Land? He also made La La Land, So yes. yeah. I, I didn't look up anything about the background of this movie going, well, after I watched the movie, I usually study up and see who made it, and you know, but I didn't do it on this one because I know you always prepared a summary, number one, but number two, I thought it would be neat to find out, and those are two, well, not really that much, but very different kind of movies, all three of these are. Yeah. And, um, and just one more thing real quick, you know, there are always movies that you see that you think are really good movies like 
one movie that I can think of as like this was The Revenant. I thought it was a fantastic, outstanding movie. And I've seen it like two or three times, but it's so gut-wrenching and full of angst and, and, and all these bad feelings that generated from watching that movie. You know, it's not one that you just want to see over and over again. And yeah. this movie, Whiplash, even though I thought it was outstanding, you know, I don't think that I... Because of what it does for me, I think from my own personal experiences in life right. and stuff, it's not something I want to see. I appreciate it, and I thought they did an outstanding job with it. But it, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if it's one of those movies I can watch a thousand times. Yeah, I don't know that I could either. It was very stressful. I, um, you know, he kind of just empathized with Miles Teller's character, and then he starts being and ask to his girlfriend, and you're like, well, I don't know that I like this guy either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I agree with you. This movie is not endearing at all. Uh, it is. It tells a good story, and uh, we'll get to that. But uh, I don't know that I don't know that I could watch this movie continually. Um, but yeah, Damon Chazelle also came out with a movie called Babylon. Earlier this year. I'm familiar with that. It's got mixed reviews, if I remember correctly. <coughs> but I've also heard people love it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Seems like that kind of director. You either look at it, like, if you look at it pretty straightforward, you're probably not going to find much substance in it. But if you can look further than the screen, you know. If you can look into things, you probably like Damien Chazelle a little more than the the average moviegoer. But nonetheless, um, it's time to get into the credits and then do the plot. Heck yeah. Uh, <laughs> heck yeah. Time for me to talk for like three more minutes. Let me get my throat all all moistened. Um, Meaty. <laughs> <laughs> that was a dog thing that had that commercial. Oh, God. That sounds gross. <laughs> okay. Whiplash came out in 2014. Um, It is a runtime of 106 minutes. It was written and directed by Damien Chazelle. Um, It was edited by Tom Cross. The music in the movie was done by Justin Hurwitz. The camera was done by Sharon Mir. And the stars of the film were Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons, and Melissa Benoist. Uh, And the plot is as follows. Andrew Neiman is a first-year student and jazz drummer at the prestigious Schaefer Conservatory in New York City, hoping one day to leave a legacy like that of his childhood idol, jazz drummer Buddy Rich. Terrence Fletcher, the conductor of the Schaefer Conservatory studio band, recruits him to play in the studio ensemble as an alternate for core drummer Carl Tanner. Andrew quickly discovers that Fletcher is relentlessly strict, emotionally manipulative, and abusive to his students. He slaps and berates Andrew when he fall, when he fails to keep the tempo during the ensemble's rehearsal of Frank Levy's titular piece, Whiplash. <sighs> Determined to impress Fletcher, Andrew intensifies his drum practice after their first set at a jazz competition. Andrew misplaces Tanner's music sheet. Since Tanner cannot play without his sheets, Andrew replaces him for the next set. After a successful performance of Whiplash, Fletcher promotes Andrew to the core drummer. However, Andrew is taken aback when Fletcher abruptly gives the position to Ryan Connolly, a drummer from a lower-level ensemble within Schaefer, 
Because of his single-mindedness towards music, Andrew's relationship with his family deteriorates, and he breaks up with his girlfriend, Nicole, to focus on his ambitions. After a grueling five-hour practice session with Tanner and Connolly on Caravan, Andrew earns back the core position. On the way back to the next competition, on the way to the next competition, Andrew's bus breaks down. He rents a car, arrives late, forgets his sticks at the rental office after convincing an impatient Fletcher to wait for him. Andrew races back and retrieves them, but is hit by a truck on the way back. Andrew crawls uh, from the wreckage and runs to the theater, arriving just as the ensemble enters the stage. Heavily injured, he struggles to play Caravan, and Fletcher halts the performance to dismiss him from the band. Enraged, Andrew attacks Fletcher on stage but is pulled away by security and expelled from Schaefer. At his father's request, Andrew meets a lawyer representing the parents of Sean Casey, a former student of Fletcher's. He learns that Casey hung himself due to depression and anxiety caused by Fletcher's abuse. Casey's parents want Fletcher held accountable, and Andrew agrees to testify anonymously, leading Schaefer to, de- to terminate Fletcher. Andrew subsequently abandons drumming. Months later, Andrew encounters Fletcher playing piano at a jazz club. Over a drink, Fletcher admits his teaching methods were harsh, but argues that they were necessary to motivate his students to become successful, citing Charlie's Parker, Charlie Parker's rise to fame as an example. He invites Andrew to perform with his band at the JVC Jazz uh, Festival, assuring him that the songs will be the same ones played in the studio band. Uh, Andrew hesitantly, uh, hesitantly accepts. Andrew invites Nicole to the performance, but finds out she is in a new relationship. Uh, on stage at JVC before the first piece, Fletcher reveals that he knows Andrew testified against him. As revenge, Fletcher leads the band into a song that Andrew does not know and does not have sheet music to. After a disastrous performance, Andrew walks off stage humiliated but returns and cuts off Fletcher's introduction to the next piece by playing the piano intro to Caravan. Or sorry, by playing the intro to Caravan. Cueing the band himself, initially angered, Fletcher resumes conducting as the piece finishes. Andrew continues into an extended, unexpected solo. Impressed, Fletcher nods in approval before cueing the finale. And that was Whiplash. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that doesn't do it justice, but uh, that that was basically the skeleton of Whiplash. Um, I guess we kind of did what our expectations going in were, so I guess we can skip over that part. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you just kind of can hear it from the first few scenes. Damien Chazelle is so tuned in. Uh, all of his movies are to the sound design. And I don't know if that's particularly on him, you know? I mean, I'm sure he's the auteur of the movie. I'm sure he has some type of input into what it's sounding like. But he puts a very heavy emphasis that it needs to sound a certain way. And mm-hmm. when it comes out like this, you kind of have to go, well, you know, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can... I have to think that somewhere in his past, either in high school or, or maybe even college or whatever, and he may have a theater degree for all I know, I don't, you know, but he was in theater course some way because he's able to recreate that angst of, uh, you know, classes and competitions and things like that. And obviously with La La Land, too, I mean, that's just straight up a... Uh, right. A musical. Yeah. 
own film, so, yeah. You can really see his, yeah, I mean, everything look, Everything is a set piece in his movies. Um, and he moves the characters around, and they have, like, pretty wide open spaces. And they don't, they have one camera, really, and they track the whole wide open space. Mm-hmm. So it kind of does feel like you're watching a, a, a theater, like a play. Um, it's either a play feeling to it, yeah. Either that or you're actually there in the room with them. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just creating the intimate setting is, is mainly... Like, the point I was trying to make, it's just, it's a very intimate setting, but it's also wide and and it's big as well, so they have room to actually work and go different places. And even, like, the the touch of it being, like, an actual school and they're filming on location, so they have that little office room Mm -hmm. that he can walk into. And then you can even extend the scene into there because then it becomes an even more closed environment. Oh, you know, you know what? That's a, a one thing that I remembered. Yeah. I didn't take notes on it, but there were like parts of the movie that kind of reminded me of like Birdman, how it would kind of like follow from one room into the next or whatever, like over somebody's shoulders, like like you were part of the the ensemble or the band or something. You know, you were just following along and you were right there. I mean, I think it was almost necessary to create that level of angst and, you know, anxiety, uh, you know, fear, sheer terror, you know, in some cases. Um, I thought they really did a good job with that. And I, I remember from the beginning is like, you know, I was pretty open-minded to the film. I mean, I know it had been nominated and won Oscars and stuff like that, so I knew it was a good movie. But, you know, sometimes the... Oscar, like, you know, really kind of artsy movies that, you know, doesn't have the substance that others have, for lack of a better word. So when this movie started with the drum solo with the kid practicing in a room by himself, it was like, it was all about the rhythm and, you know, everything like that. And I was like, man, that's a bold statement. I mean, if you're introducing this movie like that, it's all going to be like basically the rhythm of a song you know, or staying in rhythm, this movie's going to have to stay like this. It's going to have to, like, have the rhythm of a song in it, you know, to to work now. And But I was like, you MFers, you did it. So, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So I was so pleasantly surprised with that because I felt like that was a big theme. The movie itself was a a song or, you know, at least a piece of music, you know. It had measures and different segments and stuff. It was definitely being treated... Uh, with a lot of care. Um, I mean, it goes back to a lot of the sound design, too. Of like, just when you're conscious of what the movie sounds like and you're actually putting effort into, like, the sound of the movie, it makes the movie a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's even if you're just putting a score underneath, you know, a straight movie or if you're doing it in the way that they're doing it where they're actually creating... Um, like a really interesting sound stage for a really interesting idea for a movie. Um, I love how they built the tension from the first scene of the movie between the two of them, uh, or I guess the first scene that they're both in together. Um, 
it, it's it was the whole the whole beef is beautifully done is beautifully beautifully done and when you realize his plan by the end you know I guess not his plan you know he's not plotting like he's a super villain but you know his uh, his like approach you kind of can understand where he's coming from mm-hmm. um, you understand where both of them are coming from but you don't really know who you're on the side of um, but it's really, really interestingly built, and it's built from the very first scene of the movie, and it just continues, continues to avalanche, but he, he knows when to pull him in different directions. It was really interesting to watch the whole dynamic fold, unfold. Yeah, I think that from the character standpoint, I think, like, early on, you get, like, a really good feel yeah. for, for J.K.'s, um, Character, yeah. or Fletcher, yeah, um, because the, the guy sitting last chair trombone, like they're just practicing this piece, and he he goes off the chain about somebody being out of tune, and then he narrows it down gradually to like just waiting, trying to give somebody an opportunity to say it's me, but I don't know why they it this you know you see it gradually being whittled down, and then it finally gets down to the four trombones, and then. Uh, he goes to one guy and gets all up in his face and just humiliates him. And, um, and you know, he says, are you out of tune? And he said, yes. And he kicks him out of the band. He's like, wow, that was really, really, really harsh. And later on, you learn that the reason that he kicked him out of the band because it was actually enough, the first trombone that was out of tune. But this guy that he kicked out didn't even know that he was out of tune or not, and the fact that he didn't know was the reason he kicked him out. <laughs> so I can, you know, as someone who was in band, I, I can appreciate that on his level, but I, I don't think if anybody's ever been in band and know how, and, I mean, that's just something you do, you know, especially if you're at that level of competition level, because yeah. you're in tune. I mean, and you, if you're playing, yeah. I mean, I remember playing, I was like, oh, God, I'm out of tune, you know what I mean? And you got to stop and fix it. Yeah. You know, so, um, I mean, I, I get that, but I thought early on, it was like, all right, I, I, I have some empathy for him because you can't be at that level and not know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it, it, it seems like he's being so brutal, but I was already starting to get some insight of his character, so right. to speak. Yeah, and, that, and, I, and that's what I was trying to say when I was babbling just a second ago. <laughs> I, uh, I was, um, I, I thought their characters were beautifully built outside of each other, and then their paths crossed. And from there, their characters built side by side mm-hmm. because of they were around each other. And the relationship became the, the story rather than each of them having an individual story. Yeah, I feel like they... Well, we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> My next note says, hey, it's Paul Reiser. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul Reiser. Yeah, he plays... Cool. Um, he plays the concerned dad. Of, yeah, of the main character. Yeah. What an interesting role for him. He's never done anything like that. <laughs> well, um, you know, in all defense, I mean, that's, you know Paul Reiser now. Yeah. He was in... Uh, Stranger Things, of course, but he was in the 80s 
a very, very popular and successful stand-up comedian, and he was probably one of my favorites back then. And he had a nice run on, with a sitcom with Helen Hunt of all people. Oh, fun! Yeah, and it was just a newlywed couple living in New York, but it was pretty cool. It was well written because Paul Rhymes wrote a lot of it. So he had his run, and then he just, you know, you haven't seen him, you know, in twenty years, and then all of a sudden. He's the dad. <laughs> I think every like actor goes through that. Well, it's kind of like the thing when uh, the other guy, Sean Astin, pulled up on Stranger Things. It's mm-hmm. like, last time we saw you, you were in The Lord of the Rings. I know. You were like a child, and you're like the, the stepdad in this show now. It's like a very weird way to be reintroduced to someone. I don't mean weird. It's like a, it's just a jarring way to get introduced to someone again of being like wait a minute you're 40 now Mm -hmm. (laughs) I saw you you were like 27 I I rewatch it all the time well you know we were talking this before we started filming too and just wanted to bring this up it's just like how some movies are more intimate than others and in this movie you know granted there's some other guys in the band that are there and you know you have moments where they interact when they're you know practicing or whatever but there's really only four characters with meaningful lines in this movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Four characters. I mean, that's... And the fact that you pull it off, I mean, it really just seems like a ride. I mean, that you watch this movie and you're just like, wow, that was an hour and 45 minutes. It's like a dual character study. Yeah. But not so much. It almost feels like it, but there's not enough on J.K.'s on Fletcher's part, you don't go in too deep into his life enough mm. to know he's done. He's just the main antagonist. He's the driving force against, you know, uh, mm. Miles Teller realizing himself. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, I mean, I feel like it is just kind of just a character study yeah. of someone just finding themselves. And if we haven't mentioned it, I mean, this is like a movie about some kids that are going to a prestigious music yeah. school, and this is just one particular uber prestigious part of it with this jazz ensemble. So I, the question I have for you mm-hmm. is, do you think that someone that doesn't like jazz music, do you think they could like this movie? If you like movies, yes. Um, Do you think it exists outside of a fandom of jazz? Because that's something that immediately hit my mind. I, I mean, it won an Oscar. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, I think that kind of speaks for itself. But, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think you have to necessarily love jazz music to like this. Um, you know. I... I mean, it's a good question, because mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that Zach necessarily loves jazz. I've never heard Zach yeah. casually playing jazz music, but Zach likes this movie a lot. So, um, I mean, maybe. I think I think it might. Uh, that's my answer. It might. Yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 would have, I would not know one way or the other, I think and you I, could. I couldn't. I probably couldn't. I can't even infer one way or the other. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, like, that I don't think anybody, because it is a good movie. Right. 
but I, I think it has like a little bit more of appeal or possibly could for someone who's had experience like playing an instrument, being in band, you know, during their formative years or even competitively and also, you know, being a fan of jazz music. Both could really enhance that movies. And I'm just curious oh, yeah. if it's that for me that made me like it more or whether the movie was, you know, that much. And that's kind of tears me a little bit about thinking about it as a whole and comparing it to other things. I can see that. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Um, yeah. That's a good point. Um, I think Miles and JK were both really good with the characters. Um, it's really easy when the characters are this well-written. But uh, I think they did both did incredible jobs. I don't know that I would... Uh, I don't think Miles Teller deserved, like, a Best Actor um, nomination or anything like that. No. But, uh, and I had no idea he was that good of a musician. I mean, that's some, some serious drums he was playing. He had played... Uh, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure he played drums uh, as a kid, and then he... But he went and still took drum lessons uh, to, like, be really good at playing drums. Because the last thing he wanted to do was, like, make himself look stupid. Because there's a lot of people that do those music movies and they're just, like, fiddling away at the piano or whatever and they are just kind of mailing it in. Um, Anytime Bill Murray's ever tried to pretend he's playing the piano, comes to mind. (laughs) Oh, he's so charming. Yeah. Yeah. I also just want to point out Miles Teller's awkwardness. Like, his genuine real-life awkwardness plays in this movie's favor a lot. Um, I don't know. Every time I see him, I'm like, for some reason, I just always immediately think of Peyton Manning. <laughs> I don't know why. They, like, so does, much alike. He does. They look alike. They act alike. He, yeah. I can see that one. He is a, uh... He is a doppelganger for... <laughs> not necessarily a doppelganger. Like, they don't look like, exactly alike. Poor um, Eli's. It's like, with. it's like if you mix them together. Yeah, it's like Eli's and Peyton's love child is... Which is disgusting. <laughs> uh, they are brothers. Um, Who could even? Yeah, that would be gross. White people would never. Um, <laughs> he, made, he made Miles show up to the class three hours early. Oh yeah, he was just brutal, man. Oh my god, that 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 made me hate uh, Fletcher. I was like, oh, this guy's the devil. Uh, remember, and then he overslept. Yeah, and he, busted and he was a busting ass his ass, ass to get there, <laughs> and he gets there, and he sees the schedule, and the class starts at nine, or the, they start playing at nine, or whatever. But he stayed there. Yeah. I mean, what's he gonna do? Go home? You know, I mean, it's an hour to get home. He's going to go home for an hour and then come back an hour and then be late on his first day. Fuck it, I guess I'll just <laughs> sit and stay. I mean, everybody, I mean, I don't know if you're going to get into this later, but I think everybody's had that yeah. butthole teacher or yeah. coach or whatever. Yeah. Are you going to get into that? Um. Yeah, we can get into it when we get out of the break. we got to okay. take a break. So we'll be right back. You stick with it. We'll be back in like 
literally five seconds. I'm looking at myself in the monitor and my chest is flashing like I'm Tony freaking Stark or something. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see it? Like I got. Oh yeah, you got a little, you got a little blinker. Yeah, it's fun. Well, I'm glad you're having fun. I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> welcome back. Uh, you wanted to talk about um, when we left off. You wanted to talk about. I forgot already. Um, what were you talking about? <laughs> This is what happens when you put two people with ADHD in a room together. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about... We were talking about how he was oh, he had gotten to the, the class really early. I was just talking about yeah, that type of people. Yeah, the, the, the mean teacher. Yeah. I, I just, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I'm a really shy person. Right. You know, and I'm not... Uh, <laughs> A person that really likes to strive to, to be su- recognized success, I guess, for lack of a better word. Right. Like I, would, I don't think anybody would look at me as like a really ambitious person. Even that, not to say that I don't have ambitions, but right. you know, it's different than most people. So, you know, this type of teacher or personality was always really tough for me because. You know, I always had the feeling that I was pretty good or, or pretty smart about something. Like, when I was in band, I don't know if I ever told you this, but, you know, we start in the fifth grade, or we did. Mm-hmm. And then you go to middle school band, and when we get to middle school band in the sixth grade, you know, you're playing in an ensemble with six seventh, and eighth graders. Like, I made first chair clarinet in the sixth grade. And so they wanted somebody to play tenor sax because we didn't have one. So that's how I moved over to saxophone, because it's this same music sheet, basically, same key, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Gotcha. So it's just a bigger clarinet, basically, it's all a saxophone. <laughs> but um, I, I was I enjoyed it and was so into it until I got to high school, and then our director was just this jerk, you know, and I'm such a people pleaser, and it's like nothing I did, even though I was like, had some natural talent, I'm not saying I was... Miles Davis, you know, the Coltrane, rather. I'm not saying that at all, but I was pretty good. I had a pretty good ear for music and stuff. But he just, because he recognized, I, I see it now, but because he recognized that I was pretty good, but I was also kind of lazy about it, and he was just trying to push me. But he pushed me so hard that he pushed me completely out of music, and I hated him for that. And, you know, over the years I've gone back and looked at it, it was like, that was me, and that was my decision. And I was just being lazy. But I, I, I let him get the better of me. You know what I'm saying? And, I mean, I've had teachers like that, even, you know, business people. And, like, people were wired a different way. That kind of personality pushes people, you know, to be better. I mean, they're mean about it. They're awful about it. And, and they have, I think, decent at least intentions about it. Mm-hmm. you know, about what they're doing, you know, to get the most out of their protégés or, you know, underlings or whatever. But it works for some people. But it, it, it just really, for other people, it's, it's you know, what what is too far? Yeah. And I don't think it's a matter of even that, 
there are some people that you can't push that way to achieve greatness. And because you can't, they're not really great. I don't think it's that way at all. It's just people are just wired different ways. Yeah, I, agree. I, I think that was a big point of the movie is like, yeah, I mean, you should be tough on people sometimes and get the most out of them, but where's the line? You know what I mean? Because this movie dances all over that line right. all the time. Yeah, it does. Well, I don't know. It's so far over the line. Yeah, really. it definitely. It drops the, the line. tears. I mean, I even, you know, I, I'm going to admit this. He because hits the kids. It, this movie was so traumatic to me, like on a personal level, that watching it, I felt myself tearing up. Because mm. it brought back some, you know, I'm tearing up now just talking about it, but it brought yeah. back some really painful stuff for me personally. You know what I mean? So, but for me to like still like it, to know that I, it wasn't just me. Yeah. That this is a common thing for people that have gone through. I mean, being in those closet practicing rooms, just trying to get it right, trying to get it perfect, I know what that feels like. And then to be in those rooms, where those stale rooms are full of people, and you're being judged, oh, God. I mean, I mean it's not, nothing even on a sports level as compared to that in my life. And yeah. I mean, I was doing that stuff when I was like 12, 13 years old, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. Whew. Just screaming. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's really rough. Yeah, I'm, um, I don't know. Whenever I had coaches in sports that acted like that towards me, I always shut down to them, too. I just, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't respond to being screamed at. I really just don't. Um, so, yeah, I can, I can see how that would, I can do see how that would relate like a, to that. Do you think it's like a kid's thing? Because I don't know. Do you have to do be that way to like get through to them? Because, I mean, I guess we are kind of, you know, you and I are unique birds to some degree. Is like they don't realize that even at age twelve, all you gotta do is like just take us and tell us what you want to do better, and we'll, we'll yeah. you know, and have a conversation. Not everybody reacts that. I way. mean, it's, sometimes <laughs> it's just a nature thing of like the only way that these people have ever been told or taught is by being yelled at. It's the only way they know how to tell or teach is by yelling at people. So it's just a cyclical cycle for their life. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about a middle school band teacher. I'm sure this guy <laughs> did not expect himself to be a middle school band teacher. You know what I mean? And, yeah, one can only dream. <laughs> well, I, you know, that's, that's like, my point, too. Of like, you know, I'm sure he wishes he was doing something else. And so maybe, and I guess that's the thing of, like, no, my, actually, my middle school band teacher was great. Oh, okay. That's where I got school. to love it was when I got to high school. Well, still, I mean, I'm sure that's and not what they want to be. And I would say his name in case somebody that had him too remembers him. His name was David Hall. He was an ass. <laughs> Screw you, David Hogg. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was. I don't. I mean, I I had a teacher that I didn't like a lot in the seventh grade. She had been a private school teacher before uh, she taught us. And uh, she just really thought she knew something about teaching. And she was just a horrible teacher. Um, yeah, I don't know sometimes if... if- Teachers or people in authority in general, even parents, as far as that go, yeah. realize 
how important or, or you know impressionable the formative years are. Yeah. I mean, you can really do some, put some deep rooted. I mean, that age is such a fragile age between like eleven and fourteen. I mean, you're turning from a child to, and I mean, and we're talking about something totally different. But then again, not because you go through another phase in the college years from like seventeen to twenty-one. That's a huge amount of growing up that someone does in that little short period of time. So. I mean, it, it, you remember everything about it when you go through it because you have to suck it up and, and just roll with a lot of changes and everything. So, I mean, this movie, I guess the point that I'm trying to make, mm-hmm. I'll shut up, is mm-hmm. that it, it, it really encompasses that. It's just this whole movie, I mean, if you say one word, it's anxiety. This movie yeah. is just, you're just on the, just yeah. tensed out to you know, you can't stand it almost, the whole thing, but you're actually enjoying it too because what they're doing sounds fantastic, but is it worth it? Maybe that's the question. Yeah. Is it really worth it? Yeah. To be perfect? Yeah. In his mind, it is. (laughs) Uh, In Fletcher's mind, it is. Um, Yeah. To lighten the mood a little bit, uh, the next note I have is milk the cunt why didn't they say that do you remember when they said that what they came into the room and they were like I think they were tuning or something they were like tuning or they were done tuning or they were about to play or something or the teacher had just walked in and one of the students just goes milk the cunt and then they like started playing the song or like they all stopped doing what they were doing that was really weird I, I would like to be explained why they said, if you if you know why, and put in the would, comment section below why they said. I think that milk, was like milk um, the cunt. I think that was like um, what they were meaning by that is <laughs> make the new guy play. Uh, like get his maybe yeah, probably. Like yeah. give him his first taste of playing with us. Yes, yeah. I think that's what they meant, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up later. It'll <laughs> that that one definitely had me scratching my head a little bit. Um, one cool thing, uh, d- directorial wise, uh, having them none of them be able to look him in the eyes when he's like going off is, or in general, really, um, is also a great just character setting um, thing. And then also, if I'm not stealing your thunder, as um, what was the the boy's character? I'm sorry, I forget. Andrew. Andrew, yeah. As Andrew, his confidence builds. He yeah. gradually builds up more and more courage about standing up to Fletcher too, and I thought that was important. And going part. and getting a girlfriend. Yeah. Him getting picked for the the band is something that leads him to have enough like. Courage to go ask out the the girl from the movie theater. That he's had an eye on for weeks yeah. or whatever. He went with his father, Paul Reiser, to the movies and saw her. So, um, <laughs> that quick shot where they blow all that drool mm-hmm. out of the saxophone. I did not know that saxophone. I did not know you drooled in the saxophone that hard. It, it's all gross. You know what's bad about a saxophone? What's that? It, and the saxophone, it, it, there's no valve or anything. I mean, you 
you just have to dump it out. Mm. But then we don't get a lot. But like, that's more on trumpets and the battle yeah, instruments yeah, yeah, yeah. and trombones. Oh, it's so nasty. That was the gross part of the band, and I remember <laughs> we sat right beside the um, oh, God. trombones and the um, man, what are the baritones, mm-hmm. which are the small tuba things. We played the same part as the baritone tenor saxes did. Isn't that weird? That always seems weird to me. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I I wish I knew what. And that French meant. horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of us had the same music. Hmm. The same parts, basically. They must sound good together. Mm-hmm. Um. The next note says, "Ah, there it is," because uh, the name of the movie was in the movie. Because it's a song. Um, so that makes sense. Uh, uh, that note is kind of the same as the note that I just talked about. The guy that he fat shamed not being out of tune, we talked about that. Um, yeah, I love how they paint Envy in this movie. Envy is uh, a common theme in this movie that is painted and shown in such a good light. I mean, it's it's very comparable to, like, you know, quarterbacks. I think it's realistic. Yeah, and, like, I was going to relate it to sports because I'm a dumb sports guy. I didn't do any artistic stuff. <laughs> so I, uh, but it's kind of like quarterbacks, you know, just trying to battle for a spot on the roster and stuff like that. Uh, same type of stuff where it's like, you know, I want what's best for the band, and it's like, but what I want is for the band to be best with, with me, me playing. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, that is that is very very well documented throughout the whole movie, um, and rightfully so because it's it's a it's a big um, dynamic in the movie. But, I think yeah, I mean it just parallels with not just sports. Any competitive environment, I mean, just like with, um, you know, in the band even, it was like, I hope he, I, the band does good, and I hope he doesn't F up, but if he does, how cool. advantageous for me, cool. you know, I'll get another shot, even at work. You know, I hope Bob does a really good job on those reports, but if not, maybe don't give me a shot, <laughs> you know? Right. Here, everybody wants to be the best. Right. Or at least give a chance. Yeah, or give it a chance. At the very least. Um, but yeah, I thought I enjoyed how Envy was painted because it was done very realistically. Oh, God. It just ate Andrew's character up a lot, especially when yeah. he felt like he... Yeah, once he felt like he had finally won the spot, he's like, yeah, we're going to bring another guy in. We're, all, we're always... Day. Yeah. Oh, God. He, he was so confident and comfortable, and, and that's one of the things that like drove him... Uh, one of the things that drove him to, um, to like, kind of near insanity, where he like was like, "I gotta break up with her. She's mm. taking up my time," <laughs> which is that is that is a weird way of thinking. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was I, I, that was my next note. Warming him up to crush him so intensely is pretty insane. Oh, I think that's referring to the first conversation where they had, where he's like, hey, man, just mm-hmm. go out there, have fun. And then he's like, mm, no, 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 my tempo. Let's just try it again. It's fine. You're good. 
and then it's just like in the progressively it's just like are you fucking tone deaf? And he, or he throws a chair at him or something. Yeah. And the beginning, what's the, um, the drummer he talks about the story though? It's when somebody got a, some um, I have it in the thingy. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Sorry for this, everyone. Charlie Parker. Yeah, Charlie Parker. He tells the Charlie Parker story. It's like he was good and his mentor thought he was good and they brought him in to do a recording studio session and, um, he messed it up, and so his mentor threw a cymbal at him and almost cut his head off with it, basically. And he's like, and then the point that Fletcher makes is, is like, if he had never thrown that cymbal at him, would he have been Charlie Parker? Yeah. And so, like, you know, he, the first real interaction that they have is when he earns the spot the first time in the, the band, so to speak, and he goes for his first practice. Is like two minutes into it. After telling him, just chill, relax. You know, we know you're new. Just have fun with it. And two minutes in, he's throwing a chair at him. I was like, it's just like price. I mean, it, you can't help but laugh. I mean, it's horrible for the kid. Yeah. But it's it's just humorous because you just see it coming. Yeah, it's super ironic. <laughs> and the way that J.K. Simmons plays it is like, his voice is manic, but he seems calm. Like he, you know... Like, he's, like, you can hear there's real anger. And then, at the same time, there's so much collectedness that it's, like, it, it would be so intimidating to be in that situation where this guy knows exactly what he doesn't know or what he does not like about you, and he's super angry about it. But he also is super, like, calm, and he's telling you very succinctly, this is why I do not like you and you need to fix it or I'm going to hurt you, basically. And it's like, okay, I will. I'm yeah. sorry. And then and then when he gets to that point, then he'll make it personal, too. He's like, you suck oh at playing. Oh, God. And yes. then you have a little penis, too. Or, you know, just yeah. something else. Or he asked, <laughs> he asked him about his parents, and he was like, oh, what does your mom do? And then he's like, mom, right now. And then he used it against him, like, five minutes later when he's ridiculing him. That's why mommy left you. Mm-hmm. Like, right in front of everybody. It's sinister. Absolutely sinister. Um, but yeah, it gets him to a point where Andrew is so depressed he doesn't even want to talk to his dad uh, the next time they see each other. Um, I have a note that says that gash. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does he get a gash in the movie? I mean, oh, oh, on his, yeah, on his hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, those hand blisters. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're not even going to talk yeah. about that. We well, I mean, there's to. a huge metaphor all throughout the movie. I have to mention this that I loved about, I mean, I mean, there's always that metaphor that you bleed on things that you're passionate about. And there's plenty of sweat, scenes of blood from blistered hands or sweat dripping on drum sets and stuff. And all that blends into, I mean. Yeah, I mean, putting your blood, sweat, and tears mm-hmm. into something. And he definitely put tears into it you can you've seen him <laughs> oh you're one of those one fucking tear guys <laughs> <laughs> I love that line I forgot about that yeah JK 
It's so good, man. And he's like, he's already got that big, booming voice. Yeah. But, I mean, even physically, he's intimidating because he's got some freaking guns on He always wears black him. shirts, too, so you can't Tight ever thing. really tell, you know. If he's fat, you wouldn't be like you wouldn't be able to tell. Like if, if he was just a beer gut instead of like a six pack, you would be you wouldn't be surprised either way. He's like got yeah, the um, the build of the the old guy. Yeah, <laughs> and then eighteen ninety nine boxer. You know yeah. what I mean? Just like the come on, the 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 nineteen hundreds tough man. Yeah, yeah, I definitely understand. He's like a, he looks like a, in this movie, he's dressed like a, um, stagehand the whole movie. It's pretty funny. Um, the droning siren in the score is really cool. Like that little, like, um, it kind of sounds like a staticky noise, but it, it rises, um, into like a droning type of noise, if you don't recall it. Is it like speaker background Sort of. I didn't notice that. Not speaker background noise, not like reverb or anything, but it's like, um, it's like, it's more embedded in the movie. Like, it's like right. a, it's like a, like a thumping, like a boom, boom, boom. I didn't notice that. Uh, when he's like really focused and it's like just, oh, okay, it's okay. like, it's like really like zooming on his focus. Um, I thought that was really good. I just, I look out for score notes, and I thought that was a really, really cool way of, like, building his, um, like, his, all of his, uh, moments where he's really, really focused about something, it's never filled in with, like, bullcrap of people talking around and being like, hey, Andrew, aren't you gonna come do this? He's like, no, I gotta study my music, you know what I mean? It could very easily have turned into something like that, and that's just annoying. And they do it in more subtle ways, like him being a pretentious asshole at a family dinner. And that does more to build who he is specifically as a person than just being some kid who's good at music and he's a mm-hmm. prodigy. It's like he kind of, he's kind of pretentious about it. Uh, well, not kind of. He's pretty pretentious about it. Um, he thinks his shit doesn't stink. Uh, and that makes the dynamic between those two characters, his and... And J.K. Simmons' character, I feel like that plays to their dynamic even harder because, and this is made more and more clear by the end, is that Miles, or Andrew, is not necessarily, he doesn't necessarily think that Fletcher is wrong. And you can even tell when they're, um, when they're asking for him to depose and be a witness, they're, he's like, don't really want to. I don't think it's necessary. I mean, yeah, he was kind of harsh, but... Mm-hmm. And then by the end, his words are, tell me what to say. It's not even really him. You know what I mean? They're just... They, he asked the, the lawyer, tell me what to say, because he's tired of Paul Reiser, uh, you know, getting on his ass about it. So, like, that's why he really caves in, um, or at least that's what the movie leads you to believe, and I feel like that part uh, is just that part of the whole dynamic is is really powerful of the fact that like and by the crescendo and the climax of the movie 
they're on the same page. They yeah. they understand each other. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Uh, it, they they like they they agree by the end of the movie. I think they see that they're like a lot more similar than they thought they were. Oh yeah. I think it, I mean really it's a lot about it's them it's up. them understanding that they can be symbiotic and understanding Miles or Andrew has bought into what Fletcher has told them and once mm-hmm. they were able to just have an honest conversation about it that's when Andrew was able to accept what he was doing but having no knowledge of it and it just being thrust upon him as if it were a fault of Andrew's mm-hmm. rather than him being like I see something in you and I'm just trying to pull it out that's all and that's Andrew's whole point and in he, their in their conversation is that that's all I want, like really needed was for you to just tell me that's what you're doing I'm fine being pushed I don't care about being pushed you can you've seen that I'm willing to do the work you see all these gashes on my hand, and I'm like, you know. But uh, but that was his whole point, and, and Fletcher's whole point is, well, I have to be a hard-ass on you. And so, you know, him still in that hard-ass mode trying to fuck him over after he feels like he's been fucked over by Andrew. They both just kind of... They both look through the things that held them back in the past. And the climax of this movie, genuinely, it made me cry. Because mm-hmm. I was like, um, it was beautiful. It was two people seeing past their differences, understanding each other for who they are, and just accepting one another and being able to become a symbiotic... Reaching a, a level of respect for each other. Earning that each other's That each respect. other's, you know... Craft is now being elevated because they've understand each other and are now able to respect one another. Yeah, respect for another flawed human being. You know, I understand that your intentions were good. I understand that your intentions were good. You know, I mean, the thing of it is, is like I thought saw early on from the movie. We go back to the kid about the the fat kid with the trombone. I mean, getting kicked out. He got kicked out because he didn't know. And I think that's the point that he was trying to make with um, Andrew is just make him realize, like, you're exceptional. You're good. You're going to have to believe it and own it and stand up for it. And, I mean, and he, he did all those. He got all those lessons that he wanted to learn. As flawed as they may have been, ultimately he got it. He understood not only what it would take to become the best drummer, what it would take to stay the best drummer, and also to own it and have confidence. I mean, really, he just gave him balls. I mean, really, I mean, when it comes out. And at yeah. the end, he respected him for it, even if he didn't like him personally. So yeah. I thought it was yeah. beautiful how it all just comes together like that. It was a character with little to no pride going in, all the talent in the world, and having someone build his pride up, while at the same time, the person who came in with little to no pride is like seeing someone who has way too much pride and stripping him of the pride of enough pride for him to allow himself to be vulnerable and be able to grow. It was like tearing him down to build him up. And he was building him up to tear mm-hmm. him down. You know, and that that was the duality of that was also playing into the oh, yeah. the dynamic, you know what I mean? Yeah, he had to put him on the pedestal and have him lose it to mm-hmm. understand what it takes to get it back or to maintain it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was really well done. 
I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Me too. Um, let's see. There was a lot of romantic interest scenes in... Uh, a lot of romantic interest scenes in film are annoying, but the scene in the diner between Andrew and his date uh, was awesome. I, I don't exactly remember it perfectly mm-hmm. now, but I think I remember it being pretty good. It was more of two people just had different interests, like, just talking about... It seemed like two people, uh, real people on a date, not, you know... Uh, if you've seen Casino Royale, uh, just to use a reference from this podcast, uh, it is nothing like Casino Royale where they get done talking and you're like, oh, I hate both of these people, and they're the protagonists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you don't, you do not feel this way. Uh, by the end of the movie, I just feel really bad for Melissa Benoist's character. Well, actually, good for her. Yeah, she's fine. She moves on. Yeah, she, she's actually fine. So but I don't feel bad. I always thought, too, was she making that story up just to make him feel bad? I don't know. You Could never be. know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but, uh, one thing, I remember that scene. I remember what they were talking about. She brought up, his girlfriend brought up the the fact that they were both first-year students at the time when they first met. And she brought up, like, I feel like I'm the only one that's homesick. Oh, that's right. And then he admits to her that he still goes to the movie with his dad every week. And that was, like, the breaking point where they kind of bonded, that they were both willing to admit that they were fragile and they don't have everything together. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're right. And they opened up to each other really, uh, really nicely in that allowed for them to continue to have a good conversation and that's that's why I enjoyed it welcome back to part three we're gonna finish up our thoughts and maybe maybe mention the themes uh oh I made it oopsie um okay we're all good um we're going to finish up our thoughts, we're going to talk about the themes briefly, and then we're going to put her on the list, and we're going to head out. So, um, yeah, that's pretty, I don't even want to say that one, because it's going to make me sound stupid. I said, I'll just read it. It says, great clips from JK in the whole movie. It's a very freezing cold take from me. Um... I said, I've never seen a movie or anything really make playing the instrument feel so intense. Uh, does it really feel like that when you're playing a band? Or you're playing a song on stage or something? I mean, I, I'm just telling you. I mean, I had a band director. I mean, he wasn't that bad. Right. I mean, I mean he, he didn't have any qualms at all about singling you out. I mean, I've been in the situation, in, in the room, practicing in the room, uh, a piece of music, mm-hmm. where he gradually whittles it down to who's out of tune. I had that exact same thing happen to me. And it was you? Yeah, but uh, it was me. It turned uh, out to be me, but I didn't get a chance to say, admit, I know it's me. Yeah. He was just trying to find it out for himself. And he was like, you would have just asked. I would have been like, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I, I would have told me. him, it's me, just give me a second. You know what I mean? I would have said that. But, yeah. You know, so, I don't know. But, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 
I don't know. I mean, it, it, for some people, it won't bother them. But, I mean, other people have more fragile psyches than you know. And, and yeah. different people were motivated by different ways. I think it's tragic to think that that works for everybody. My I, thing. I agree. I don't, I don't see that as like a end-all, be-all thing. <clears throat> I don't understand how you can think that that's the only way to, to interact with people. Um, but yeah, the, um, the, the intensity of the drums, uh, like putting their, their hands, having to go in ice buckets, uh, all that stuff. I think there needs to be like a, a drummer's hand charity, um, because they have some messed up hands. If you drum, I'm so sorry. Uh, I did not know your hands were that messed up. So, appreciate all the drummers out there for all the hard work they put in. It's like just awesome to play the drummer. Yeah, I bet. They look soaking wet when they're done. Mm-hmm. That's probably why a lot of them play with their shirts off. Yeah, and speaking of the intensity of the drums, you know, the pieces that were, they were playing, I think, were perfectly in place because at some, they're just like... You know, at part, parts where he was at his most confident and he yeah. thought he had made it, it was just the music, you know, fit that. And, right. And when he was frantic, the music, you know, equaled that right. particular feeling. So I did a good job there, too. I agree. I love that the story about Sean Casey simultaneously allows you to empathize with Fletcher when he tells the story, but uh, then eventually you hate him for mm-hmm. what uh, what they tell you that Sean Casey, what happened to Sean Casey because uh, they they allege because of Fletcher. It's not, you know. I, I thought that part of the movie, I thought it was the only far-fetched part of the movie. It's was like, you can really that, go... Did he told them died of a car accident? No, that was the kid that, that he said was... Um, Remember, he comes before class one day and says that oh. one of his guys, one of his former students, died of a car accident. Is that the same guy or a different guy? Yeah, I forgot that he said that he died of a car accident. So, I, he, so I forgot that, about that, that. Yeah, I meant to mention that because that kind of tells me that he was he ashamed knows. of himself and did yeah. take some fault in that yeah. happening because he was super depressed when he had come in that day. Yeah, and then he just used it against them too. Because that was when he made them do that, like, four-hour drum session. Because mm-hmm. then he had made a point that, like, once you put in hard work, it really does pay off. Because this kid made it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, yeah. But and then you come out. Yeah, you come in at the end and you <laughs> say, at what cost? So, yeah, it's that was really cool, too. Or not cool. <laughs> that was a really good storytelling technique. But you know what, you know, I, I think about it to some degree. And I mean, I think this movie was really about precision and perfection in a lot of ways. And and to strive for it and to obtain it, you really have to substitute and sacrifice so much of your life. And is it worth it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go through my notes and see there's anything really that I need to hit on. I, I maybe guess the last, like the, the crescendo of the movie, the climax scene, because we haven't really talked about it. He tears those drums up, man. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <clears throat> I really like the, the silent montage in the middle of the solo, I think it is, where he's just going, and it, like, slows down and zooms up, and you see the, the sweat and the, the blood, sweat, and the tears flying off of the drums. He's literally put his blood, sweat, and tears into the drums. It's not... You don't get much better uh, direct visual metaphor than that. Um, yeah, and the amount of storytelling they're able to do through strictly playing jazz uh, is another thing. The music is a story, and that kind of plays into what you were saying about the beginning of the movie, what the movie needs to play like a song, and the, the whole climax scene really uh, emphasized that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love the ending of the music movie so much, because um, the, the end of the movie, basically, when he plays like this final like kick-ass song to end it, the movie whiplash that, yeah that, that that's the end of the movie when the song's over they kind of like nod at each other approvingly or you know respectfully and, and, that, and the movie ends right there so it's like when the perfected song ends the movie ends you don't have any epilogue it was all about the course of where he started and where he ended and that one particular song I mean really that movie is literally about that one song yeah it's him perfecting the song whiplash <laughs> through very rigorous methods. <laughs> and what he has to go through to get there. Yeah. I like him mouthing fuck you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. Their whole conversations while the, the songs were going on was pretty funny and the the climax scene. This movie all had like a uh, had a pretty like witty sense of humor about it. It was very tongue in cheek. Um enjoyed that about it but yeah I think that's really it for my thoughts like the most important things this is now my favorite J.K. Simmons movie oh before yeah. it was Spider-Man oh. <laughs> I love you man yeah. Yeah. he, he, is, he is really really good in that movie he's the very <laughs> he's the overly accepting um, father of, of his gay son I mean, I guess you can't be overly accepting, but who he's, happens to be he's Andy Samberg? <laughs> yeah, he's just super accepting of his of his son's lifestyle. Um, he needs more opportunities. To oh, have I agree. More important. What do you mean he's reading those farmers only insurance or I don't whatever? Know why. He's such an incredible actor to me. <laughs> he's great in those farmers insurance commercials. Yeah. He's good. He is. Like, that's unironic, too. He's actually good in those commercials. Well, I mean, it's kind of like <laughs> Aerosmith's new catalog. He didn't really like it. But you're happy, happy they're making money. Yeah. Because they squandered it all. Right. They deserve to be rich, at least, from the early <laughs> catalog. That's the way I always looked at it. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how you gotta look at it. However you can look at it. Whatever helps you sleep at night, right? Yeah. Uh... So, yeah, I guess I'll, I'm going to hit the themes. I only have, like, you know, a handful here, so I'm just going to read through them. I got willpower. I have um, jazz music. <laughs> I have Paul Reiser. Um, I've got not my fucking tempo. Um, but, no, really, I have... Um, I have training. Yeah, just... It, 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 I didn't really pay 
that much attention into it. Envy is a good one that I don't have up here, but that should be on there. Envy is on the uh, a, a good one. Um, intimidation. Definitely. Uh, pursuit of greatness. Um, the uh, trials and tribulations of pushing someone to greatness. That now I'm just kind of coming up with them on the top of my head, but that, that would be angst. Yeah. Um, teachers. No. Uh, yeah, I think that's good. That's that's pretty good. I, I don't. We don't need to spend too much time on that, honestly. We're gonna get into the list. I almost pulled up my email. <laughs> Not what we want to do right now. So. into <clears throat> enter full screen here we go yeah zoom in okay or, or not Okay, so we got Whiplash, by Dame Inches, okay, by Dame Inches, <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it, okay, it's my movie, uh, so I'll give my, my rating first, I have this movie, a nine and a quarter, um, I thought it was a very, 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 very good movie, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't need to really explain it, we kind of just spent the hour explaining why I thought this was a good movie. So I give it a 9.25. That's my official rating. What is yours? Well, I mean, I personally love the movie. I, I think it's the kind of movie that not everybody's going to like. Um, but I think anybody who loves what you would call film would absolutely adore this movie and has any appreciation for just very good, well-made movies. Um I mean, you know, you're not going to go out of the theater dancing and singing or anything like that, but it's a fantastic movie. So, I have an 8.5 for me. But I'm kind of snobbish about what I give 9s and 10s to, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, what does this put it at? 17.75. So. That's better than Assassination of Jesse Jane. Yeah. So, it'll... Go wow. to number four on the list. Right under Taxi Driver, uh, under Ad Astra, under Apocalypse Now, just above La Haine and the, the three-way tie for fifth between Gone Girl, Clerks, and Pearl. So, Pearl. Pearl. I think that's fair. Your great-grandmother's name was Pearly. Why would you look at that? Um, yeah. 17.75. It's to fourth on the list out of uh, now 12 spots. Oh, actually, We third. reviewed 15 movies. No, it's fourth. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's out of 15 spots, but what is it? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, five of the movies are tied. Uh, so, three of them don't have a spot. We might so. have to start going to a 100-point scale. Could be a thing. 
eventually. And then I, yeah, no, because then, then we wouldn't be able to do these movies, you know? Then we wouldn't be able to rate these movies against each we'll other. We'll just have them here. No, I just think what we'll have to, <laughs> I think what we'll have to start doing is people will just have to start doing, like, point ratings, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like 17.4, 17. you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. just round it out. Five point fives, but we'll figure that out on our whole time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I started. I've already started doing it a little bit by doing point two fives, and uh, and David gave Lahaina nine point two. So we've already started doing it a little bit. Some other people just need to catch on. Um, <laughs> I'll change mine to an eight point six if it makes you happy. If you want to, you know, you don't have to do anything. Um. But yeah, that that's that's basically it for us. Uh, yeah. Um, so appreciate you coming out. Thanks um, for having me. No problem. Um, I will. Uh, I'll have you on soon again. I'm already booked. <laughs> I'm booked through April. <laughs> starting to get booked up for May. I'm actually. I'm actually getting pretty far ahead in the booking um i've already got six lined up so um lots of film lots of film coming up i'm gonna just go ahead and like say a few because it's not really necessary for me to like puppy guard them uh so you know if you're listening this far you get a nice little treat of a gym or or another uh if you want to go ahead and catch up if you haven't seen some of the movies that are coming up um, next week I have Daniel on and we'll be watching the 2007 film Into the Wild by Sean Penn um, I've seen that that's a good movie yeah I, that was Daniel's pick um, I had to shake it out of him earlier this week uh, and then I'll be joined by a new friend my friend Chris uh, who we, we do movie nights we've done movie nights about on and off since the podcast started. I think the same week the podcast started, we started doing movie nights. Not a, a filmed thing at all, but, you know, just a movie night in general. So <clears throat> I've watched like 10 movies with him this year already, like new movies that we've not seen before. So we're pretty used to watching movies together. <laughs> uh, so that'll be cool. We'll be watching Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, the Hunter S. Thompson film, and then Zach C. and I will be watching Super Mario Bros. Uh, that was Zach's pick. Uh, I picked Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, and then me and Trevor, Trevor will be back on uh, May the 10th. We will be watching Sha- uh, Chaplin with uh, Robert Downey Jr. from 1992. Outstanding movie, by the way. Cool. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Um, and then for my mother's birthday, I will be having her on. And she's chosen The Godfather. Um, yeah. Uh, that kind of, that one I don't even know. You don't really even need to say much for that one. Um, You've never seen The Godfather? No. Mom, mom's never sure. seen The Godfather? No. <laughs> Every time I'm watching it, she walks out of the room. So. That's funny. So she's now forcing herself to watch it. <laughs> a three-hour movie. Yeah, I said that when she picked it, so I hope she understands that. I will definitely bring that up to her. 
the Godfather is tentative at the moment. Uh, I'm if she gets it in one sitting without falling asleep, yeah. I'll be amazed. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then, interestingly enough, I uh, I had already asked David if he wanted to be on for the May 24th episode. Um, before Mom had told me what her movie was, and I picked Lost in Translation by Sofia Coppola. So it'll be funny. I'll get to watch. You haven't seen that movie either. Oh, I think you'll really like that movie. Yeah. Um, So it'll be cool. I'll get to watch Francis Ford Coppola's magnum opus, or his best movie is what is considered his best movie, and then I'll get to see what's considered Sofia Coppola's best movie. So I'll get to see how much better one of them is than the other. So, that would be fun. I love Sophia's eyes. She does fantastic work. She's cool. Um, I saw her movie... I don't remember what it was called. Marie Antoinette was good. I don't think it was that. It was an A24 movie that she did. I don't remember, though, what it was called. So, that, that tells you how good it is. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. But, uh, yeah, um, that's it. I've rambled a little too long. But that is the upcoming slate for uh, at least to um, the second to last week of May. Um, so, yeah, if you want to go watch any of those movies and watch along with us as we review these movies and watch them with us, go do that. That'll be fun. Uh, it'll make it more personal for you and therefore more rewarding when you spend the hour with us. So, uh, thank you to anybody who's listened this far on audio only. Thank you to anybody who has stared at our faces for an entire hour. Um, I still think you're weird for doing that, but nevertheless, appreciate it. Um, we're going to get out of here, though. I, Yeah. I was going to say I appreciate it again, and I don't need to do that. So, goodbye, everyone. Okay. Peace. Yeah.